absolutely wild as Fern Gagne's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar maids. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. Oh, yeah. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? <laughs> this is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey! Look out! There it is. There's the open. Here are my hands. We are off to a better start this week than we were last week when I unplugged my microphone and my camera and my headphones and everything else. But this is AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. This is episode number 99. 99, two years, 99 episodes, guys. Wow. 52 weeks a year, 100. So out of 104 possible weeks, we've done 99 shows. That's pretty damn good. Damn right it is. And and, uh, pretty soon we will do a good one at some point, I will think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, I again looking at that show open as I always do. I noticed Jesse Ventura with the uh, Christmas tree ornaments hanging, you know, as uh, earrings. Chupik's been known to do that too. He's hung some ornaments on his ears, but unfortunately, that was in July, with really no explanation whatsoever. So, I think heard of Christmas in July. Uh, Can we blame Marty and Sean for that? Who? Oh, sorry. Damn it. I just cost us a million dollars. That's right. There you go again. <laughs> well, we're off to a really good start here, guys. What, what is what is the uh, the gimmick, Mick? 15 minutes remaining? For 15 whatever. minutes remaining. Elapsed time, 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we're having fun, though, guys. We love the podcast. Uh, this is going to be... Uh, this is going to be a fun one in the sense that we're going to, the, the AWA was known for certain things and violence and bleeding and some graphic nature. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to cover today. Yeah, we are. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than to celebrate the best bleeders <laughs> in the uh, history of the Well, year. red means green, right? Red and there green. You go. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to great minds think alike, Chris. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. I know, Chris, uh, you and I talked about the, the graphic nature of some of the photographs. Yes. So we just want to alert everybody to that. Yeah, I, I'm going to put the, in all seriousness here, guys. I'm going to put the graphic, uh, the the scroll, so some of it may be unsuitable for some. So if you're a little bit squeamish or a little uncomfortable with things, uh, we are going to put some of these pictures up. So just be advised that it is going to be up there. Uh, But this is number 99 about the best bleeders in AWA history. Before we get to that, we do want to thank everybody for supporting us through 99 episodes, almost two years. Um, Subscribe, rate, review. 
because this is how we got some big things happening in 2024. Mick, you're going to talk about it at the very end of the program. Uh, but YouTube, Apple Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon, wherever, whatever platform, rate, review, subscribe. Because uh, we, I'm going to send you guys a couple of things tomorrow to, to look over. And I think we're going to be able to get that finalized. We got some big things planned. And I know it's just, it's like one of these special big announcements, but I do think you guys are going to like it. Nick will, uh, you'll tease it a little bit later on in the program, right? 2024 is going to be a good year. We got a lot of stuff, very creative, innovative, uh, interactive yes. uh, stuff for the, uh, for the viewers and the listeners. So looking forward to that. Yeah. We'll touch on that towards the end of the show. Let's see some blood. God damn wow. dude. Wow. Well, this got dark and this got dark and all right, Joe. Let's yeah. hey, we're talking about bleeders. Let's see some bleeders. We've gotten all of the particulars out of the way, and yes, yeah. I too am excited for what's coming up in 2024. Um, yeah, let's let's see some of that juice flowing down somebody's face. <laughs> let's, let's wow, color going. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. But show me some blood. That's what the episode's about. I want. Let's see it. I want to get into it. Before we before we talk blood, uh, we gotta do it again, Chris. Here we we got away with it or got away from it for a couple of weeks, but now we have another acknowledgement of a passing of an AWA alumni. Yeah, Doug McLeod, who did uh, some interviewing. He did some. Uh, play-by-play commentary for the AWA. Not a ton of it, but he was around for uh, probably a couple of years. He was a part of the Pro Wrestling USA mm-hmm. uh, team. Um, Doug, long-time Minnesota Golden Gopher uh, uh, play-by-play commentator. Uh, Doug did a lot. And, uh, yeah, seeing the news of him passing away, it's it's just... Well, you know what, Mick? The older we get, uh, it's not going to slow down, my friend. No, it certainly is not. And you and I were talking early on, Joe, mm-hmm. about the number of AWA announcers that are left. And uh, I think I'm still here. But uh, it, it really is very sobering. And, and one thing about Doug McLeod, when he actually did the play-by-play when there was a Nick Bockwinkle babyface turn. Uh, with Larry Zabisco and Greg Gandia and the Nunchucks uh, out in Atlantic City. And Doug did a hell of a job there. Great voice. And uh, one of the great moments in AWA history will now be attached permanently to Doug McLeod. Yeah, he had that, uh, the, that, that voice. It was like the old school radio voice that you yeah. would say. Uh, and, and, and it's not that he had it, but I'm going to, the first thing that pops to mind is that old, um, I, I guess they characterize like the, 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 the pukey type of a voice. And again, I'm not calling Doug McLeod's voice pukey, but it was just over the top type of just top four, you know, it was, but it was so good. And he yeah. was able to deliver in his own style. So thank you, Doug, and rest in peace. You bet. All right, guys, let's um, no way to make the easy transition, but let's uh, let's do it, Mick. There's the the reputation and the perception of bleeding and blading 
it's almost like it's taboo nowadays. So if you guys can just kind of walk me through the old school blading versus the new school way of getting juice, as they would say. I think, first of all, Chris, to your point about being taboo, it's taboo in the WWE. It's certainly not taboo in AEW or, you know, the various independents. Um, it's almost over the top with AEW, you know, with a John Moxley character. Back in the day, and Joe will attest to this, uh, it was generally either in a blow-off match or a major feud, and there was a lot of blood, but it meant something. Uh, it, it wasn't just every week you saw blood on television or whatever. So when you bought a ticket to see the Crusher and Mad Dog Vashon go at it, for example, which is the first thing that came to my mind, or you saw, you know, you were going to see Bobby Heenan, uh, you knew that somewhere along the line there was going to be blood. Uh, at the AWA matches in Chicago, they would chant for blood at the Chicago Amphitheater as soon as the bell rang for the opening match. I mean, you could have, you know, Spike Huber and Prince Pullins in the opening match and every, you know, we want blood. We want is, blood. is that kind of what fans like the, we want tables. Is that kind of what that used to be? Absolutely. Where, where it's like immediately, okay, this is kind of, this is what we came for. It It is the same, but it's different because nowadays it's like, this is part of the shtick. You know, they're, okay. they're chanting, we want tables, you know, almost from the outset. And, you know, the guys are getting the shit kicked out of them in the middle of the ring with kendo sticks. And the fans are chanting for tables. Bang. Chicago was a pretty bloodthirsty audience. And uh, I, I think that probably was the most bloodthirsty audience in the AWA, as I recall. But, man, we saw our share of it here in the Twin Cities area, Joe, with, uh, as I said, the Crusher and the dog. And, and it meant something. You know, it goes hand in hand with uh, the, the the current style of wrestling in that the bar uh, has been raised so high that even, uh, even bleeding in today's matches or some of the extreme uh, headshots, not in the WWE, of course, or tables, ladders, guys jumping off of balconies, whatever, it it it's lost its sort of wow factor now granted i'm an older person now and i've been watching wrestling and as a kid when somebody bled it was wow but it's the cat's been let out of the bag unfortunately and mick mm -hmm. your your explanation 100% spot on that it meant something. It was done in a cage match. It was done uh, to set up a new angle, a new feud, um, to, to really get people to buy those tickets. Nowadays, it's sadly, it's almost expected, again, outside of the WWE. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it just, I don't know, the, the whole industry has changed, obviously, uh, for better or for worse. But we will be talking about the legends that we grew up watching mm -hmm. we're gonna see the blood we're going to see and explain what it meant for that angle to bleed 
in the old AWA. So if I mention the name Eddie Mansfield, your reaction is what? My reaction is uh, that was one of two turning points in wrestling history in exposing the business to a mass audience. Uh, the other one, of course, was Vince McMahon, uh, you know, kind of letting the cat out of the bag because he wanted to save some tax dollars uh, with the athletic commissions. Uh, Eddie Mansfield showing everybody how the how it's done, how the rabbit comes out of the hat, so to speak, in wrestling as far as blading is concerned. That did it. And, you know, it, as we're referencing that wrestling or that uh, blood in the business meant something back then because people didn't know back then they speculated but there was so much of this stuff oh they used blood capsules this that the other thing but there was no definitive this is how it's done and i know i remember back the first time you know i i would say to somebody hey you know what let me tell you there's no blood capsule but this is how they do it people were like appalled oh god no nobody is going to take a razor blade to their forehead that can't possibly be got to be blood capsules got to be ketchup got you know whatever food coloring uh but once eddie mansfield and jim wilson uh went on uh, 2020 i believe and showed how it was done that's it cats out of the bag like you said joe you know and i was gonna say for better or for worse but it, it just the, the whole i mean it's for worse it, it to me it was just more fun speculating and guessing um to maybe use an analogy it's sort of like now you know the the today it's ufos it's like they don't exist well if one actually came down and we met them it's like yeah 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 you yeah i always knew ufos were real and it's no big deal <laughs> and you know again that's probably extreme but along it, it's in the same vein why they did it, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I've watched on social media the exposing magicians. Yeah. And to me, that what what it, Mansfield did was that. He exposed yeah. the magic that we were looking at. It went from how in the hell did they do that? Is that real? And questioning to... Ah, that, yeah, I've seen that before. It's no big deal. Sucks, but that's where we're at right now. So we're going to cover some of the, you know, some of the most memorable bleeders in the history of the AWA. But before we get to that, guys, uh, I know that there are some individuals that are known for a lot of bleeding that weren't necessarily connected with the AWA. So I'm going to let you guys kind of go forward from this point. Uh, I've got the pictures, so you guys continue the conversation. And then I'll jump in kind of wherever I see fit. But I'm going to hand it off to you, Mick, because I know we've got a list of names that we want to start covering. We do, and this is in the context of what happens to a guy's physical appearance if he uh, uses the blade over and over again, hundreds if not thousands of times over the years. And I know we got a couple of uh, photographs, as you said, Chris, of non-AWA competitors uh, that will illustrate just what we're talking about. So uh, when you, there you go. There's, there's number one, one of the 
worst foreheads in the history of wrestling. I mean, my God, if that guy wasn't run over by a bus and then it backed up and did it again. That is the late King Curtis. He was notorious. Virtually every match he was in, uh, at some point, he took the blade and look at that. And yeah, I, I guess if that was my forehead, you know, instead of wearing it as a badge of honor, I might have let my hair grow. Uh, but look at that show. Isn't that incredible? well? He he went beyond the forehead. He went to the top of his head. Isn't I mean, that something? It, it, it's like a, I'm wondering if down low, if that would even bleed anymore because there'd be so much scar tissue. But you can plainly see the marks on top. On top of his head is where he, and you know what? I will have to say maybe he didn't blade for those and those were just part of legitimate chair shots, but who the hell knows? But yeah, railroad tracks, and we're going to see a bunch of them. What I think of, remember the old conjunction junction from the yes. House Rock? There was always a shot up above that showed all of the train tracks going in all of the directions. We're, we're going to see Lionel train shit today. We really are. We're going to see some moon landings, uh, you know, from <laughs> you know, just just before the module lands. Uh, let's get another picture up there, Chris, and we will take a look at. Uh, talk about guys. Now, there you go. Abdullah the Butcher. And we, we kind of separated him from the AWA roster because Abdullah was only here a very short time. But again, look at the top of his head. Uh, not only the forehead, Abdullah the Butcher, as was King Curtis, a notorious bleeder in wrestling. I know there was some controversy where he was in a match, and uh, I, I believe uh, either he, I believe it was his opponent that got hepatitis C uh, as a result of Abby's blading. Y yes, yeah, yeah. That's and that's one of the last stories that I've heard about Abdullah is. The, the the hepatitis situation isn't that something and you know abdullah the butcher chris if you look at the top of his head as joe was saying and i've mentioned this on the podcast before abdullah would take a 25 cent piece a quarter or a 50 cent piece and he would literally put it into one of those big scars one of those deep grooves in his forehead <laughs> to the point where the the coin disappeared it was like he literally he was a walking vending machine. And, uh, you know, Abdullah notorious, as was King Curtis. And again, you know, you get to the point, and I know this is for a lot of wrestlers, you don't even have to use the blade anymore. When you get to that point, if your fingernails are sharp enough, you don't need the blade. You've got all that scar tissue up top and all that flesh, and you just nick yourself and... There you go. You got Niagara Falls. Yeah, saw Wahoo do that right after, about uh, three days after juicing in, at the showboat in Vegas. Yeah, Came God. right in, just went, and blood started coming out again. Wow. Just shook my head like I'm doing now. It's like, why in the hell? Oh, look at the sheik. Look at that. Oh my God. The original sheik, Ed Farhat, uh, you know, not only, I mean, this guy was a madman. He was a certified madman. He would do anything and everything uh, to get the crowd riled up. Arguably one of the greatest heels in wrestling. But again, look at that forehead. I mean, honest to God, my cat's tower, my cat's scratching tower is in better shape than Sheik's forehead there. But 
year after year after year of, of blading. And, you know, like you said, Joe, maybe sometimes you don't even need to blade. Uh, you just do it the uh, hard way. And look at look at that forehead. That is, yeah. Imagine, imagine what his wife or partner coming home after the matches is like, no, how's your day at work, hon? You're looking awfully. So how was your day at work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, just wow. Not a pretty sight. And there we go. Now, that's that's kind of a tame picture compared to what we've been showing. That is Captain Lou Albano. Well, it looks like a and, pentagram on his forehead. Yeah, actually, you know, he did rent himself out as a tic-tac-toe board, uh, you know, in, in uh, wrestling's offseason. Uh, but Captain Lou got to the point where he just didn't hide it from anybody. He would blatantly take the blade out from underneath his wrist tape or wherever out of his trunks, and he would just go to town. Uh, he would just carve himself up like a Thanksgiving turkey in full view of everybody. And he's, uh, and you see the end result of that. Captain Lou, again, one of the great or not so great uh, foreheads in wrestling history. The fact that, like you had said, Mick, they'd take it out of the wristband or out of their trunks. There were times where they'd also get it from the referee. Yes, yes. Um, yep. You know, for whatever reason, not quite sure if they were afraid of something happening with it on mm -hmm. their bodies. But there were multiple ways, but there's only one way to bleed. And that's literally taking a piece of a razor blade. Um, no. No, yeah. so I, so it was was it because I've I've heard stories where it would be in the wrist, uh, the tape, the mm -hmm. tape. Did did guys put it in their mouth too? Like, uh, did you did you hear those stories, or am I just talking talking goofy? Yeah, I, I think basically what it was, Chris, when it was time to blade, yeah, they would either you know lift that first layer of tape off the wristband or their fingers. You know, they okay. had the. They had the blade right underneath the, uh, the the first layer of tape on their fingers. A lot of times, you know, when the fans were starting to get smartened up to this, if a guy came to the ring with taped fingers, they knew right away there was going to be blood. Uh, it's uh, it's a changing world. I've told the story before. Back in the day, wrestling fans used to literally walk up to the ring after a Bobby Heenan match with a program or a napkin or something and scrape the blood off the floor and then taste it, put it in their mouth to see if it was real blood. Oh, gross. Um, talk about barbaric. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even, even if it wasn't real blood, the fact that they're scraping something off of the matte canvas that these uh -huh. guys have been running around on, sweating mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. uh, getting their dirt on, and I'm sure the matte covers were not washed before every event. Uh, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 probably not the worst thing that those people have ever put in their mouth. So I guess that's you know we look at it that way. <laughs> uh, let me, I want to ask you guys about two feuds, Nick Bockwinkle, Kurt Hennig, and then maybe the the bloodbath feud that I remember is the Midnight Rockers versus uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Can you guys kind of walk me through? maybe the significance of those in the later stages of the AWA, and then we'll get into some individuals. 
Well, the cat had been let out of the bag by then, you know, which is really interesting. It had been about two, three years into being let out of the bag. And the match I think you're referring to is that incredible Kurt Hennig and Nick Bockwinkel bloodbath, the 60-minute draw uh, from the showboat. One of the greatest matches in wrestling history, bar none. And they both bled like stuck pigs. Uh, the Rose and Summers Midnight Rockers feud, the bloodbath. Joe, you know this very well. The cage match uh, just blew the roof off of everything. And even though it had been exposed, the fans were so wrapped up in the greatness of those two matches that they were they were hooked. They went. They got pulled right in. And what we both had referred to earlier about how it meant something. It still did mean something in both of these matches. The uh, the, the, the New Year's Eve, as I call it, that's when we aired it, the New Year's Eve match of uh, Kurt versus Nick was, wasn't the actual start, much like the right. Rose and Summers, which I'll get into, and Rockers I'll get into in a second. The, the, the feuds had begun, these elevated it. And so these, in both matches, having the blood on there pushed the angles even further for revenge. Uh, in the case of Rose and Summers against the Rockers, they had had their first match at Wrestle Rock and that tag team bloodbath, every single one of them bled. Uh, Doug Summers, Sean and Marty, the three of them bled. Buddy Rose did not bleed in that first one. But there was so much of it, and they sold it so well that, to me, that became the hottest angle in tag team wrestling at that time. Certainly in the AWA, of course, you know, NWA people and WWF people have their own uh, takes on it, but it again, it meant something. They did come mm -hmm. back again and bleed in a cage match. Buddy Rose did bleed in that one, but they didn't go over the top. In between that, yeah, they had some back and forths, but they didn't bleed just for the sake of bleeding. It meant something, and it elevated both of those matches. Kurt or Kurt. Mick, you said that that Kurt and Nick Bockwinkel match, one of the greatest of all time. I concur. This tag team match, I'm going to put it into that same category, that it was one of the best matches that I have seen. When I'm in the production truck and I'm on the edge of my seat watching it and having to remind myself, hey, you got to get the next graphic ready, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, and that did not happen often in both of these cases. It did happen because they were that good. And there was a lot of color. Did Vern ever bleed? Because I go back and I look at all these pictures, but I don't ever recall seeing a picture of Vern Gagne with any juice. It's interesting that you say that. I never saw a picture of Vern uh, with juice. I had heard that he might have bled once or twice. I don't know if that was hard way. I can't imagine that Vern bladed. Uh, if he did, it, it, you know, it, it, it would be certainly a, a rarity. Um, 
Vern didn't have to bleed. That's that was the uh, first of all, he's the scientific wrestler. He didn't have to bleed. He was just, you know, he was Vern Gagne. Uh, so he didn't need that to get over. You know, the old red turns to green didn't need to apply to Vern. He was already there. Yeah, Vern was the all-American boy, the baby face, the 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 the, the pretty boy, if you will. Uh, you're right. He didn't have to bleed. And in all of my years in the business, uh, in my 39th year, I guess now, never seen a photo, never seen a video. And I've got literally, I've got scrapbooks, images from the scrapbooks of Vern Gagne's career. Greg did bleed, as we can see here. But I, I you know what? I'm going to put that out as a challenge. If somebody can find a picture of Vern juiced, then please send it in. I've not seen it. Okay. So I, oh, go go ahead. No, 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 no. I, you go ahead, Chris. Okay, because I've got a I've got a follow up on that. So if we're talking about Vern, maybe not bleeding. Do you guys know if anyone ever refused to bleed or blade, or it maybe somebody wanted to if they wanted to bleed and they were told no. I mean, do you, did you guys ever hear stories like that? I didn't. Uh, okay. And I would think, you know, with old school AWA, if, you know, you're told we're getting, you know, you're going to get color tonight, you go out and get color. You don't tell the boss you're not going to do that. Um, you know, there's some guys that, uh, that just bled arbitrarily and they would do it for match after match. Mitch Stowe comes to mind. Uh, I don't think anybody actually would go into Vern and say, hey, let me cut my forehead open tonight. I mean, they knew if it was a crusher or a mad dog, it came with the territory. You know, okay. this is what was expected of you. But I don't think anybody would refuse. Okay. I, I was okay. I, I was just thinking maybe if you guys heard something like a reunion, you know, some sort of get together where maybe there was a story that somebody's talking about, you know, so-and-so was afraid to do it or so-and-so wanted to do it, but they were told no. So. I was, just, I was just kind of curious if maybe you know guys refusing to refusing to bleed. Um, I don't. I've never heard of a story in the AWA of that happening. Okay. Being turned down because he wanted to bleed. Yeah, that actually did happen a couple of times because you you had guys who I don't. I hate to say that they enjoyed it, but that they thought that okay, you know what, I'm going to juice tonight. So. It wasn't that they went to Vern and said, hey, I want to juice tonight. It would be, hey, do you need me to? Because if I if if you want me to, I'm ready to. But Vern would pull it back again because you didn't want to do it over and over again. Yeah. You wanted it to mean something. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've kind of set the table of it, uh, why don't we actually get into some of the names here, guys? Because sure. uh, I, I feel like this also setting the table is also a pretty important part of kind of giving context to this whole conversation. You bet. Let's bring up some of those photographs and uh, relive some of the memories of uh, some of the guys that uh, took the crimson mask, as they say in the business. We'll wait for Chris to get photograph number one loaded up and go from there. There you go. A guy that we are very familiar with, not so much for the AWA, although his run here was abbreviated. He had blood bats with the adorable Adrian Adonis and Joe, you were there front and center. And that, of course, is Tommy Wildfire Rich. 
Yeah, in fact, um, when I first saw the picture, Mick, I thought of you because I know you've commented several times about your favorite AWA special look that I did. Yes. Um, was is a battle royal that featured Tommy Wildfire Rich, and he wore a white T-shirt with the dyed hair, and he was a literal crimson mess. And along those lines, one thing to keep in mind, a lot of the guys, not all, but a lot of the guys that bled did indeed, were indeed bleach blondes. Yes. And why? Well, put red on white and then put red on, well, grayish. You're not going to have the same effect. And so dyeing your hair and juicing having that blood in your hair, wearing a white t-shirt, it's going to pop a little bit more. Yep, so you can see it in. from section 212A in the balcony. And that was the uh, that was the intent. Yes. Another photo coming up. Now, another man that was in the AWA for a relatively short time, but he bled consistently. And he had a feud with Mad Dog Vashon that uh, was legendary in the All-Star Wrestling Network. That is Joe LaDuke. Joe was legendary for bleeding. Uh, I believe he took an axe, if I remember correctly. He took a literal axe to his own arm as an angle uh, set up in the studio. I believe it was in Memphis. Uh, Joe didn't hesitate to bleed. And uh, when he had that feud with the dog, it was uh, it was something. You know, in that picture... Doesn't he look quite a bit like Mad Dog? He does. He, um, he certainly. Yeah, does. I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, is that? I, I mean, it looks a lot like Mad Dog. You yeah. know, and if 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 you look on Joe's stomach, his lower stomach there, look at that scar going down. And again, now I I don't think that was intentional. I believe that Joe got hung up on a, a ring post or something. But this man was, uh, he was a walking sieve. He bled from every orifice in his body and a legitimate tough guy in Joe LaDuke. Yeah, and a big guy, the lumberjack, big Joe LaDuke. There you go. Who do we, who do we have next, Chris? Who's the, uh, who's the next, uh, next contestant on the Price is Right? Let's, ah, legendary. Superstar, superstar Billy Graham and Joe I know you were just a pup, uh, but I was there for his legendary matches with Wahoo McDaniel. Superstar Graham was another guy throughout his career. He bled incessantly. And, you know, again, look at that. Amazingly, you got the blonde hair, and the fans just ate it up, not only in the AWA, but, of course, when he went out east, uh, would wrestle Bob Backlund or Bruno or whatever. When Superstar Graham bled, he bled. And uh, if you look at the original movie, The Wrestler, uh, put out by Vern Gagne back about 50-some years ago, uh, Superstar Graham is front and center at the beginning of the movie, showing that he had been cut open by Wahoo McDaniel, and he said, look at me, I'm going to need stitches tonight. And uh, how many times was that refrain used over and over again by the Superstar? Yeah, actually, Superstar was not before my time, Mick. I do remember Superstar Billy Graham versus Wahoo McDaniel in an Indian strap match, as it was called back in the day. Yep. The funny thing, and I thought this 
at that time as well, strap match, bloody strap match. Hey, Wahoo. It was held on Easter Sunday, and I remember thinking how funny that that was back in the day. But uh, God, wrestling, wrestling had no boundaries whatsoever. There were there was no no limitations. You know, like Road Warrior Hawk said, Christmas is just another day to beat people up. Yeah. Uh, there is uh, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, and of course, here in the AWA, not only his feud with superstar Billy Graham, but everybody he got into the ring with, literally, and had a feud with Wahoo Bled. And it wasn't just in our territory, it was all over the country. And Wahoo had one of those foreheads uh, that, you know, you pretty much a, a, a map of downtown Denver. Uh, you know, you could follow it with your finger. But again, legendary tough guy. And that's interesting, too. When you think about a lot of the guys that bladed, they were legit tough guys. And they didn't give a shit. And after a while, they just didn't feel it anymore. Well, you got to be tough. But you also have to be, in, in just my opinion, a little... Nuts? Yeah, I was going to say strange. Nuts fits as well. Little, stop and think about this, okay? You're taking... Oh. Oh, Jerry, you're taking a razor blade, a, the, a point of a razor blade, and running it across your forehead. That in itself, uh, probably why I never, never got into the ring, but these guys could do it. I give them credit and kudos for doing it. But at the same time, I got to say, you're flipping nuts. Joe, I cry if I get a shaving nick, you know, <laughs> let alone taking uh, you know, the, the point of a Gillette to my forehead. Uh, but uh, let's bring that picture of Jerry up again, Chris, if we can. Uh, Jerry Blackwell, again, you talk about tough guys. Uh, Jerry, of course, legendary in the AWA for his feuds with uh, not only the Crusher, but Bruiser Brody, Mad Dog Bashan, on and on. And interestingly enough, you know, we've talked about this before on this show. One week after the Eddie Mansfield pod, or, uh, television aired with him exposing the business, there's uh, Jerry in a cage match in, in Minneapolis, and he is facing the crowd, and he went into his trunks and pulled out the blade and blatantly cut himself in front of everybody who had now been smartened up. So everybody uh, ringside was yelling, he's got the razor blade, he's got the razor blade. But uh, Jerry Blackwell, again, legendary tough guy. Seen him bleed very many times, and he would come back into the locker room and just wipe it off and carry on like, hey, just part of the job. Do you guys know... Was there, did anybody ever get paid extra to bleed or were there any extra perks if you decided to go out and get color for your match? Joe, you go ahead and then, and then I've got a thought about that. Yeah, the extra perks were that you got paid extra to, to juice, to, to, to blade. Um, you know, and again, Chris, going back to what we were, uh, Mick and I were talking about earlier on, it's when it meant something. And so when a promoter came to the guys to say, hey, you know, need color tonight, I'm sure some of the guys would say, okay, fine, no problem. Um, but 
they also knew that they would get paid a few extra bucks to do it. It wouldn't be a lot, but it'd be enough to make it worthwhile. Some of the guys thought, oh, sweet, I get to juice and I'm making a few extra bucks. Those are the sick ones or the, the nuts, the nuts ones. I shouldn't say the sick ones. But yeah, um, the guys will get paid a few extra bucks to, to juice. And, and Chris and Joe, I mean, at its bottom line, if you're in a blood feud with somebody, you're going to draw a big house. And if you are paid on a percentage of the house, uh, these blood feuds would pay off in spades and you didn't necessarily need a bonus uh, to go in there and do it. It was just automatically built in, a.k.a. again, Crusher and Mad Dog Rashad. Yep, you just knew. Here's here's the wrestlers. Okay, we're going to be getting color in this angle at some point. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just I, I was just kind of curious if you know if that was something that was always floated out there. So uh, I know we got a few more names we want to get to guys, and and I know uh, this is this is somebody who did it quite a bit in all territories. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, back in the early 70s when he was here in the AWA area uh, and he was feuding with the likes of the Crusher. Uh, Big Dust, again, one of these guys that bled every night. And I don't know how many times I couldn't even speculate. Think about this, Joe and Chris. Over the years, not only in the AWA where basically it got started, but into Florida and then into New York and everywhere this guy wrestled. Dusty bladed night after night after night, and it wasn't always in front of a big crowd. It's just what Dusty did. And one thing to keep in mind is that these guys would, uh, I was going to, to throw out a number, but let's say safely back in the day, these guys are wrestling 200 nights out of the year. Minimal. Yeah. And so just going on that 200 number for easy math, I uh, juiced what maybe 150 times when they were in an angle that they were, you know, even in the small towns, they're building up to get that big house show, wherever it may be. But over a hundred times per year, taking a razor blade onto your forehead to get color to sell tickets. And you know what? It worked pretty damn well for them. It did. And of course, this is before all the talk about hepatitis C and about AIDS and, and what, you know, whatnot. Uh, nobody knew really back then. And uh, so it was just just part of a, a night at the office. Yes, indeed. Let's move on to the next one. It's going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> Again, talk about a guy who bled consistently. Uh, but he did it against opponents, whereas we hammered this home over and over again. It meant something, whether or not it was against the Crusher or whether or not it was against Jerry Fatwell, uh, whoever it might be, Mad Dog Vashon, one of the legendary bleeders in wrestling. And Mad Dog was another one of these guys, Joe. He had the scar tissue. He didn't need the blade. And there's another shot of Maurice back in the day. He didn't need to bleed. He just barely touched himself sometimes, and uh, it started to spurt. But Mad Dog, again, one of those guys, you knew you bought that ticket. You laid your money down. You were going to see red. And how can we forget the 26 stitches he got in his noggin 
when he uh, went a little bit deep with the crusher on uh, on all-star wrestling well it's not that mad dog went too deep himself it's that when he was going to to juice crusher hit him yeah and pushed that blade in a little bit further he hmm. literally cut into an artery did he not mick he did. He absolutely did. His uh, his forehead looked like a squirt gun. Yeah, it, 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 yeah it, Roger Kent knew. Roger Kent knew well, how bad it was. If you listen, and it is out there. I had used it on one of the classic AWA pay-per-views, that clip. You you could hear the sense of an of emergency in Roger Kent. It's like, get your ass out here. You know, <laughs> This guy is in severe trouble, and Mad Dog was. I mean, and Crusher didn't know. Crusher kept attacking him. And, you know, the fact that Mad Dog survived that, not that he was on death's door, but that was pretty damn dangerous. It was. And that, of course, is natural segue into this guy. Uh, the legendary Reggie Lasowski, the Crusher, a crusher who was still blading into his middle 50s and, you know, still into the mid-1980s. He was still blading against Jerry Blackwell. Uh, the matches that Crusher and Bruiser had with Larry Henning and Harley Race, for example. And then, of course, you know, Nick Bockwinkel, Ray Stevens, on and on. And Crusher was one of those guys you just knew, especially in a cage match. Crusher was going to bleed. There was no question about it. It was just a matter of how far into the match uh, Crusher was going to bleed. But when you talk about the all-time great bleeders in AWA history, Crusher is right up there. How how about that? Uh, in, in, incredible. And, and you know, you know, and these guys would come out the next time on television with a little band-aid over their forehead. <laughs> You know, where they might have had, you know, 10, 12 stitches put in there before, you know, the week before, and they would just come out with that badge of honor, that uh, that Band-Aid, and it became a hallmark of AWA wrestling back in the day. Yeah, and as sick as it was on the Crusher and Mad Dog, I've again said it before on this podcast, my very first live event matches, the main event, Mad Dog Vachon versus the Crusher in a steel cage, and I became hooked. I was like five, four or five years old. And I'm seeing this blood from a distance, old St. Paul Auditorium. But I got hooked on a cage match because of Crusher and Mad Dog and the blood in there. And it might be a little something touched up here, I think, too. Yes, I'm crazy nuts all of the above. Well, now we've gone through a lot of them and it, inevitably there's only one way to end this list and it's the i'm gonna put the picture up there and i don't think it's gonna surprise anybody but i think if there's one person that encapsulates the professional wrestling business and we've talked about this individual over and over again i feel like there's one name one performer that goes on the very top of this and i'm gonna put this picture up first I've got a second one, but I mean, is it any oh. doubt that that's who we're talking about? Bobby the Brain Heenan, and if you look at that photograph, the blood is actually dripping from his forehead onto the mat. Uh, Bobby, Bobby was one that was legendary. He just didn't take 
surface cuts. These were not hangnails that Bobby Heenan was uh, was slicing into. He bled consistently. And the thing of it is, Joe and Chris, that's what everybody paid to see. They hated this guy so much that as soon as he was signed against the dog or crusher or whoever it was, people were salivating to watch Bobby Heenan bleed. And he did it over and over again. He had that that forehead full of scar tissue. And I mentioned before, one very serious wound he had right across his head had nothing to do with blading. It was the result of getting hit over the head by a claw hammer, uh, the claw end of a hammer, uh, wielded by a fan uh, in Chicago. But when you talk about the legendary bleeders of the AWA, my God, I saw so many matches with Bobby and Dr. X where this guy, I mean, he literally looked like he was a lawn sprinkler. It was just incredible. You hit it on the head earlier when you said that's what people came to see when they knew that Bobby was in a, um, whether it be a cage match or any type of special match, a handicap match or whatever, everybody wanted to see Bobby bleed and bleed he did and he did it well. Look at that. That is a definition of a crimson mess, even though it's an older photo and the Looks like dried blood, but do the color correction. That's a crimson mess. And if you're sitting watching this or listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, the guys did it all the time and you're no big deal, stop and think. You're taking a, a small piece of a razor blade and running it across your forehead. The thought of even doing it, Mickey said earlier, if you get you shaving, you get a nick, you're 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 calling in sick for the next three weeks. I wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I I, well, I wouldn't do it. That's it. If you ask anybody, you hand somebody a piece of a razor blade and say, OK, go across your forehead with this. How many people are going to be sick enough to do it? Not very many. And these guys, the legends, they did it consistently mm-hmm. to entertain the wrestling fans. And I'll go a step further. Go up to somebody with a with a gimmick and tell them, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you cut yourself like a professional wrestler. I'm gonna bet that the majority, which technically is six out of ten, but six out of ten people would easily say, not an effing chance in hell. And I'll yeah. be one of them. You you better believe it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's gonna wrap up uh the content version of our episode number 99 again about the uh, best bleeders in the history of the AWA. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. And again, um, if you're squeamish and you haven't seen the pictures, that's okay. If you feel like maybe, you know, if you're listening and you want to go back and you want to take a look, just take a look at our YouTube. Uh, The video is, is live right now. So uh, we're getting ready to wrap it up here, guys. Um, let's give a shout out. Do we want to give a shout out before we kind of preview what's coming up in, in 2024? Or we want to preview 2024? How you guys want to do this? Well, if I could interject before we even get into that, I think one thing we forgot to mention, happy holidays to everybody. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, tis, tis the season to be jolly. There's tis a season to have a horrible green screen. Back <laughs> I was just going to say, my God, it's you're bringing it's the podcast well, version of the team challenge series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God. True. That's what you get when you don't have a legitimate green screen behind. Wow. You. Oh, that's yeah, you're kind of floating in and out there, Chupit. Give got, me some Tommy Jammer. <laughs> you, got, you got apparitions and ghosts and everything around you. And apparently you're getting ready for the Christmas tree up your ass match <laughs> in uh, the team challenge series. It's a Joe Chupik on a Christmas tree match. <laughs> wow. But this, this is very similar to the original green screen that I had to work with, with the AWA, with Larry Land and with uh, the destruction crew. Um, it, this probably looks about as good as that did in the day. But yeah, uh, you deserve, deserve I'm a not letting you go until you give me some Tommy Jammer. Come on, give me some Tommy Jammer. Yeah, let, let's try to figure out where Tommy Jammer stops and the green green, green screen starts uh, as we're trying to do with that, whatever that is behind Tupic's head that keeps coming out of there like a Martian landing in his ear. Uh, as far as the shout-out, guys, I know we all feel the same about this. Uh, the shout out, it's a universal shout out this week, uh, not only at the holiday season, but going into 2024 for everybody who has made this podcast an unbelievable success. I never imagined two years in we would be doing this with an increasing fan base. We have a loyal viewership. They're always so great. Yes. And happy holidays, everybody. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you, thank you. What he said. Um, I haven't been a part of this podcast since the beginning. Um, it's actually it's, it's about a year now. I think it was uh, in December of last year that I joined this podcast full time, and it was a Christmas present for me last year. Christmas present for me this year. Uh, for the fans, some may think it's like getting coal in the stocking, but you're stuck with Polish Joe. The uh, uh, according to Barry Darso, the heel podcaster of AWA Unleashed. Uh, not going to live that one down. In fact, I was directing yep. a hockey game this weekend, and in between periods, the color commentator asked, I got to hear, I, I heard about, uh, listened to the last podcast, and I heard about uh, Darso calling you a heel. I got to hear that story. So, Hey, talk about viral. I guess one way or the other. If I got to be the heel podcaster, Karch, I want you in the cage. Well, you're you've uh, been a virus of some type or other for many years, Joe. So this is this is nothing new. Hey, can can hey, uh, hey, can, hey. can can Wally Carbo thank our fans? I want to thank everybody. Is it the, the podcast itself? Lots of. I got a fade worse to death for anybody who doesn't turn on the podcast. And, and see you later. <laughs> so long, Wally, and thanks for the happy holidays. Oh, wow. I, I, I want to echo what you guys said. Um, we've got a really loyal following. Those that have been with us since the beginning, those that are just kind of, you know, finding us along the way thank you guys for everything that you've done it doesn't go unnoticed and we've got 
some cool things planned for 2024. Again, keep an eye on our social media pages uh, on the AWA Unleashed fans page on Facebook that, you know, Brandon and Brian and Jeremy do an absolutely fantastic job in moderating that. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a blast and I feel like we've done some good things, but we are, we are on the edge. You guys, if you kind of want to get a little bit more involved, if you want some things that are going to be a little more personal, uh, you know, you want to get a few extra perks. We're working on those. And I feel like those that want to be a part of the podcast, they're going to get more of an opportunity to be more connected with us. And we're going to try and, and I feel like we're fan friendly guys, but I want to offer more. And I feel like we're, we're on, we're on the edge and hopefully at the beginning of 2024 for episode 100, uh, maybe we'll even let it know, bef- you know, we'll let everybody know about it beforehand. I'd even love to. Chris and Joe, I got to say, uh, the three of us, we have a good time here, you know, amongst ourselves, but we love the fan interaction. Uh, we love the feedback. We love doing the live events wherever we can actually intermingle and talk with the, with the people that watch the podcast. And as Chris said so very eloquently, we are going to do a lot more of that coming into 2024. Some big surprises. I think you're going to be very, very happy indeed. A lot of them, the brainstorm of our uh, of our head honcho here, uh, Chris Tubbs, who came up with some great ideas. So thank you, Chris. And it's going to be a fun 2024. That it? That is it. You're going to end with putting me over? What the hell? Let me rethink this. Oh, we could go on, Chris. We really could. But it is the holiday season, so happy ho-ho. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm yeah. I'm trying to end the recording, but if it doesn't end, then I will just, uh, I will end it manually. So we will end it after that. So that's all good. It's still recording, but I will, uh, I I will, I will edit it. It doesn't want to end. Oh, you got to leave this on. Welcome to 2024, ladies and gentlemen. Stop. Stop. We're done. Happy 2027, everybody. Maybe if I refresh it, it will end. It's the never-ending podcast. I'm going to go away. Hold on. (laughs) 